0: Hi, I'm Danny Elfman.
1: This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry.
0: This is Chris Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy really Idol.
2: This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is
1: Peter Chadi, host of the story behind the song. Each month, I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You're listening to episode 225 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Dream just recently released a set of Dark Matter Eclipse models. If you remember a couple years ago, they put out the 21-inch Dark Matter Eclipse ride which is a half-lathe ride cymbal that gives you two sonically unique playing surfaces. The unlathed portion in these towards the center gives you a drier, more articulate sound, and then you get a washier, more complex sound when you get out towards the edge, which is lathe. So they took that concept, applied it to a set of 15-inch hi-hats, as well as 17-inch and 19-inch crashes, and a 23-inch ride. So if you go over to dream's instagram page probably on their youtube channel by now they just released a demo with artist phil hawkins um he is he, he plays some tunes he talks about the symbols so go check those out again this is the new eclipse series 15 inch hi-hat 17 19 inch crash 23 inch ride as well as the original 21 inch ride very versatile you can get uh clear articulate sounds as well as washy sounds i think it's going to be very popular with a lot of artists so check them out thanks dream and let's get the show going
1: episode 225 what is up everybody hope you guys doing absolutely wonderful after mike and i get all caught up today we will be talking education and we'll be discussing the hybrid rudiment known as the herta our featured artist this time is daryl Lilman Howell. in our gear review section we'll be checking out some new crashes from sabian from the hhx complex series after that we'll answer a bunch of your listener questions and as always we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started thank god (laughs) that was epic one day.
3: One day was epic. <laughs> <laughs> the intro music was pretty epic. What do you think of that? The intro, the music? The intro
1: music was <laughs> very epic. That's our, our new intro music for 2020. So just to make it official, we now have intro music, and we will definitely be using your guys' submissions for our outro music, so please keep sending in those submissions. Now You know what? Maybe since we can't ever make a recorded version of our pre-talk, mm. maybe we just stream our pre-talk live no (laughs) yeah yeah because it was a it was a biscuit this was i felt like it was a therapy session we got some stuff out all right but now we're now now and and that's how we can start this podcast is because now we're positive we're ready to rock we've got things to talk about how are you doing how's the weather there
3: uh gosh man we haven't talked about let me look out the window so this is how bipolar it's here on the east coast anyone listening who can who can relate It's like 20 degrees today, yesterday, tomorrow, and Saturday, it's going to be like 65 degrees. Whoa. I'm kind of expecting the earth to just open up and swallow us all at that point. (laughs) By
1: the way, now you know what the beginning of the podcast sounds like before we start recording. It's just Mike and I talking about it's all going down. Oh, man. Well, uh... I I, I'm sorry. You
3: can yeah. Well, uh, well, you'll be in sunny California next week. That's yeah. Most importantly, it's the chaos before the chaos of trying to make sure everything is prepared for NAMM. I don't know if this is a strategy or or just tradition, but I feel like everyone tries to lock you into a formal meeting that ends up making the whole show impossible. I don't know if you have that. You probably don't because you have your endorsers to deal with, but. I get all the time, like, can we lock in a time, can we lock in a time, And and I understand that, but if I give you a half hour, it's just, it's insane. It's absolutely insane to try to do this show by foot.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, Nam is an actual job for you. It's probably what people don't realize when they see you in the evening, is they don't realize you just had a full day of the most hectic work ever. yeah. So it's you didn't have the same day we had as drummer nerds just walking around and being like, oh wow,
3: yeah. There's oh, <laughs> Vinny trying out a snare drum. I always get the, hey, see anything cool? I feel like saying, no, none of it's cool. Go, go home, <laughs> leave now.
1: <laughs> no, none of it's cool. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, That's well, a jaded
3: 15 um, year veteran in the drum industry speaking right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I my my time is pretty chill, although. There's a good chance you and I will actually be together yes. at a booth.
3: Let me see if I've got a confirmation. If not, we're going to announce it anyway. Uh-oh. I've got... Okay, here we go. So you and I will be meeting up at the Big Fat Snare Drum booth on Friday, whatever that date is, at 1 p.m. Nice. So Friday, 1
1: p.m. of Nam. we will be at the Big Fat Snare Drum booth.
3: So if you want to come hang out there, well, I don't know what we're going to be doing other than hanging out, maybe playing some weird-sounding stuff, but... That's yeah. 1 o'clock on oh Friday. Oh, my
1: gosh. You and me playing drums. We've never played drums together once. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. I've never even been near you while both of us had sticks in our hands.
3: Yeah. But, you know, I can say that f- probably about 99% of the drummers in the world because it's a one Can you say game. that
1: about 99% of the drummers in the world that you have an hourly conversation <laughs> with every week? Then no. you've had 200 and something... Hours of conversation. Uh, Dude, you know, we, we
3: did play tiny little bit of drums when I visited your facility 35 years ago.
1: Oh, that's a right. Yeah. But bit. we – I mean we didn't throw heat. No, you know Because it it it's was, ma'am. I'm coming for you, Dawson. <laughs> <No, I'm laughs> it's a big, fat s'more drum. You, I was going to say you can't really do it with – your chops would sound like just <laughs> be a big cow moo. Uh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. So hopefully – uh, we will bump into a lot of you guys at NAM. It's always fun to hang. And if you've never been to NAM before, just know that it's it's honestly chaotic. So, sending us DMs or whatever of like, hey, can we hang out? All we can say is, yeah, of course. But no, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It's also, <laughs> NAM is massive, but the drum side of NAM is not massive. So, we will all bump into each other at some point in time. It's just a big. You know, loop. So you end up seeing each other and you talk as much as you can. And then right when you start talking, like, A troop of guys or gals goes over to the Dixon booth and just starts ripping chops, and you can't talk anymore. And then you move over. Why you got to pick on Dixon? They're in the quiet area. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not picking on Dixon. It's just always some random, you know what it is? It's always a Dixon kit that was supplied for someone to show off their new head or their new symbol or their new drum wallet or something where it's just like,
3: it's always a Dixon kit. I don't get it. I think your memory is misleading you there. (laughs) <laughs> They're in the quiet area. They're like tucked behind like guitars.
1: Fine. <laughs> fine. Uh, world max. There's always like, there's a, there's always some booth. It used to be the Soul Tone booth. Everyone would gather at the Soul Tone yeah, booth Soul and Tone just go booth. bananas.
3: a uh, and has been pretty guilty of being yeah, insanely loud. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Who else? Let's go ahead and call them all out. Who's been? <laughs> well, Sabian the had loudest. the guys hammering, actually hammering Sybil's all day. <laughs> That That was was shockingly piercing. (laughs) Yeah, you
1: could hear that over in the Roland booth a half a mile away. Yeah, I'd say you got Soul Tone. Um, You know what's funny, though, is who's – is it – there's Istanbul and then Istanbul Agop, right? There's Istanbul Mehmet, Istanbul Agop. Uh, Okay, Istanbul <laughs> Mehmet, that was the one booth that, there, it was almost like security guards of, don't even think about, like, we don't even have a kit. You can look at our symbols, but we make art and you're not throwing chops around here. So, um, now, last year was the first year that they moved the drum area to a new part of the oh, place, true. right?
3: Were you not there so, last year? I wasn't there last year. Yeah, everything's in Hall C, I think. You know, it didn't okay. It didn't feel any different honestly okay Okay. well i'm sure it'll be fun
1: and we look forward to seeing you guys for sure we yeah we won't be able to do a podcast from nam just because of the chaos and both um mike and my schedule are kind of crazy already so we will do a podcast next week we'll just do it earlier in the week before we leave for nam maybe we'll make some nam predictions which is hey drums drum companies keep making drums and (laughs) we'll see how that goes um Okay, so a couple things to get to before we start in on our educational topic, which I'm really excited about. You and I are going to discuss the Herta or the Hertha, depending on how you choose to spell it. Uh, but first thing is, so I've got the UK Drum Show 2020 coming up in quite a while, mm. but the reason why I want to mention it now, it's in September, but they've allowed me to host my own room this year, which is called the Educational Room or the Education Room, and it's going to be me... Anna Canillis, and Eddie Thrower. Cool. And the whole point of this is it's a 45-minute masterclass from the artists that were on the main stage. So it's not like a junior room. These are All three of us are on the main stage. And then this is, okay, let's get into the things that obviously would have been too, too personal or too deep to get into in a drum festival setting. So mm-hmm. if you have some serious questions. Now, we are going to be teaching a masterclass that already has titles and everything, but it's also a place to go deeper. Like... Everything you just saw on the main stage, what went into that? What is Eddie's mindset when he's creating parts? What is Annika's mindset? Uh, I'm going to be teaching two classes, two different classes. On day one, I'm going to be teaching from the page to the gig, uh, just diving deep into how do you practice in a way that allows you to take the stuff you're practicing and actually use it in the moment. So I'm just using the gig as a word for the moment, whatever that is for you. How do you do that? And then I think on day two, if they'll let me, I'm still trying to work it out with them. And if we can... Make it work tech wise. I want to do a whole masterclass. I've never done a live one on how to make better videos for drummers. Oh, interesting. How would you do that? Bring all my gear and everything. Yeah, bring my gear, plug in my laptop, show them how to get specific angles, show them how to speak to a camera, how to distance yourself properly from the camera. So, still working on it. Um, But so the reason why I'm bringing this up is there's only 150 spots. And I don't think what most people know is that those spots are free, but you do have to register them, and they're free if you have a ticket. So as long as you have a general admission ticket for one day or for both days, then you can attend these classes for free. So you need to go to theukdrumshow.com. And then click on tickets, and then you can then register your passes. So like I said, Annika has a Saturday class and a Sunday class. Same with Eddie, same with me. And there's 150 seats per class. So get over there now and get that done if you're planning on going to that show. Uh, Second thing I want to mention is I think we all have seen enough news, no matter how much you ignore the news, to know what's going on in Australia. And it's just a terrible thing. I think, unfortunately, we as human beings deal with one or more of these per year of just mass tragedies that we can't quite comprehend. We don't know how to do anything about it. We feel like if we can't solve it on our own, then we just don't know where to start. Um, and I just want to say one thing is just do anything. Anything at all is good, honestly. Um, and I will say this money is kind of best. And the reason why I say that is food by the time it gets there, it can go bad Um, It can be it might not be what's needed. Maybe they have more than enough food, but they need a blanket. So it's hard to guess what they need. So I was planning this year in 2020 on doing something that I don't think I've ever seen a YouTuber do, which is I was just going to publicly announce I am going to stop all YouTube ads. I'm going to take myself out of my YouTube revenue. Mm. And to make it a better, in, a better learning experience for my students, or f- even though they're free, right. I still, I still feel like, okay, well you get that intro ad and then the banner ads pop up and it's just kind of annoying and it interrupts the educational flow. So I was going to give up that money 100% to say it's over. So instead, what I'm going to do is all of my Google revenues, 100% of my Google revenues or YouTube revenues, this from 2020 will go towards, um, what's going on in australia so the first batch first few months will be going just straight to the red cross but then i'll be talking to brody simpson and uh stan bicknell just the only two guys i know in australia and be like okay what is the red cross still the best way to go Mm -hmm. because what's going to happen is in a month from now no one in america will be reminded of this at all but it's going to take them years and years to rebuild what's happening there so for uh every month for a year i'll just send 100 percent of my youtube revenue to that and then i'll keep people posted on where it's going and what's the best place to put your money um depending on you know what would help mo- help the most very cool very very cool. so the only reason i'm mentioning that is just know that when you're sitting through a lame ad on my youtube <laughs> videos you're actually helping out australia <laughs>
3: there so you go. the I never even thought to ask this question. Do you have to watch the whole ad in order for you to get the revenue? So it doesn't matter. It's the same. No. skip it.
1: It's just the same, and it's it's not quite as simple of an algorithm as views. A lot of it comes down to how big your channel is. So um, I don't know what my numbers are, but I think I have about 170,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, I've got about 12 million views. So, um, you know. Every month, it it just depends on how many videos I'm uploading. But YouTube is going to be my main focus of 2020 as far as social media goes. So that revenue will go up more than it even has been in the last few years. And and like I said, I mean, really, it's not costing me anything because I was planning on taking out that revenue because it's annoying. Mm -hmm. But if it's annoying and it's for a purpose and our listeners know what that purpose is, I think it makes it tolerable. And yes, you are more than welcome to skip the ad. I'll still get that revenue. That revenue will still go to Australia. Because I am like, (laughs) I click a million times waiting for that skip skip ad. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then accidentally you actually clicked the opt-in. You're like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want those toe socks, whatever those weird, creepy things are. I'm gigging in shoes. All right, so let's get into some. (sighs) You don't wear those toe sock
3: jobbies when you gig, do you? Don't ever say toe socks ever again. Just take, well I don't, don't what are ever. they called I don't know It's weird it done don't ever mention it ever again
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know what they're called I don't own them but they're they're creepy man I don't want to know let's move it on let's talk about the hair t- <laughs> we will but do you gig in shoes yes or no I need to know of course of course right yeah I, I, mean, I can't of course I, I mean I practice in shoes so I don't <laughs> uh, I there was a discussion on the Mike's Lessons family page where people were talking about playing barefoot, and I was like, hey,
3: hey, keep when you're at camp, keep your shoes on, man. I mean, yeah, just do whatever you want to do, but I don't want to see you walk around a festival in bare feet and then hopping oh, on a back <laughs> backline kit that I'm going to be playing or whatever. I don't know. It's just kind yeah. of weird. shoes man wear your damn shoes Shoes. so just so you don't freak out
1: carter mike plays your kit with shoes mike plays the lion king kit with shoes everything is fine let's get into the herta so if you guys don't know what a herta is also sometimes spelled herta how did you learn it herta or herta
3: i'm uh well i mean i heard herta herta Ballerta. blerta <laughs> I mean, it was like every possible version of of a stupid rudiment name. <laughs> single stroke four, four is, I think, what it should be, or something like that.
1: I don't. Yeah, know. I mean that's the that's the rough. thing about it is it's it's really it's a rhythm because it's just single strokes the whole, whole time, right? So the way I usually define the Herta. Uh, We'll just use that moving forward for the rest of this episode. (laughs) How do you spell it? I spell it as H-E-R-T-A. That's how I've seen it the most in drum set books. But I did what the first time it was introduced to me in a marching hybrid rudiment setting. It was actually spelled H-A-I-R-T-A. Yes. And I've seen it with a U as well, like hurt with an A at the end. You've got to be. okay. that person has to be fired. (laughs) (laughs) But blurta is also something that I've heard. That's not real. That's hybrid hybrid. You can't go hybrid squared rudiment. Okay, so what is a herta? I will play you a little bit of sound in just a second. But one of the ways that I explain it to my students, instead of tripping them up with thirty-second notes and sixteenth notes, or maybe you play it as triplets, I can or I teach it as it's two notes of any speed followed by two notes of half that speed. Okay, okay, okay. So if this is my speed. Then it would be. So you could have two thirty seconds followed by two sixteenths, two sixteenths followed by two eighths, two eighths followed by two quarters. That would just be a slurter.
3: <laughs> yeah, <That's> super
1: super <laughs> slurter. Ceases
3: to be a rudiment and just a rhythm.
1: Well, and that's, I guess that's a discussion to have too, because it is just a rhythm built out of single strokes. So what I wanted to show you guys today is, first of all, I just want you to get used to hearing it. Now, I put the metronome in three, four, because this takes up, I'm playing this as two 32nd notes followed by two 16th notes. So it takes up three 16th notes. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So I'm playing it in three, four, and here it is against a click. Okay, now right off the bat, not the most exciting rudiment.
3: Mm, no, I mean, it, it just sounds like a, a rhythm.
1: It's all it is. <laughs> yeah. It is a rhythm. It's a syncopated rhythm. It's
3: <laughs> It's
1: single strokes that are not evenly spaced, so it is a syncopated rhythm. <laughs> right. Okay, so then here's where the discussion comes in, and this is actually why I wanted to talk about this with you. Okay. I've heard it two different ways on the drum set. And then, when you and I were talking before the podcast actually started, you showed me a third way that you have played it. Mm-hmm. So, but the two most common ways you would hear it is when you accent the first two 30 second notes. So, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. So, let's listen to that real quick. So now it starts to take some shape because we start to bring in a polyrhythm. With those accents there, we start to feel that four over three polyrhythm. One E and a two E and a three E and a one mm-hmm. E and a, two E and a three E and a. So that I can say for sure when the Hertha made its way to my drum set, it was that for a very long time. Interesting. Obviously orchestrated, but that was how I that's I was under the impression that that was the Herta. I think kind i of learned it as triplets that's i was going to ask that because especially with somebody that was so ingrained in jazz you know if your vocabulary was more shifted towards triplets where mm-hmm. mine was obviously shifted towards
3: straight 16ths then it works great as triplets as well yeah i think that even in like marching band i think it was we, we kind of drilled it in with a triplet subdivision okay and i don't know that we ever actually accident the first two notes that's like a new version that i don't think i've ever done Wow, and I think I
1: I, the the last place I can remember seeing this in notation was in Kim Plainfield's book. Okay, so he had he had like two full pages in his advanced concepts about Herta groupings. So Herta three, Mm. Herta four, Herta five, and then he would just combine those. So like three five three five,
3: right? Interesting. Um, it sounds three, four, it's four, like it's like Carter Beaufort language or Billy Corgan okay. language. Yeah. now for
1: sure. Ants marching, Carter Beaufort live would just hurt his way down the thing at the end of the song. Dank, 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 for an hour, <laughs> and we were like, "What is that?" And so his two thirty-second notes, right was on the ride with kick, left was on, you know, a four-inch rack tom or whatever a tiny thing he had. Oh yeah. Uh, and then his two sixteenths were floor and snare. So ding dong ka, ding ka, ding dong ka, ding dong uh, And that was definitely, I mean, that's me just out of high school, going like, okay, what is that? And if I did that on a china, uh, you know, that's going to fit right into my rock style. This is great. So now the, the next time that the hurt and, – and I worked through those Kim Plainfield exercises like crazy. The next time it made its way to my consciousness where I was like, what the hell is that? Is when I heard Travis Barker do it and he was accenting the two 16th notes. Mm. So duh, 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 duh. So let's give that a lesson. A listen. Biscuits. <laughs> I get so excited about teaching <laughs>
3: Okay, so i have to no matter what my ear flips it around to where the accents become the downbeat like, oh really like okay. a, a, not the downbeat but the accents become the beginning of the, the phrase. Yeah. yeah yeah dun- yeah check it or that 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 okay yeah i could see that and i just can't hear it and same thing with like licks to start with a bass drum i can't hear that as like the beginning of the phrase bass drum always ends a phrase for me it's weird i I have a lot of friends that
1: don't realize the pickup notes they play. And so they always teach the lick with the pickup notes. Like, ah, oh, it starts on the kick. And I'm like, no, 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 your kick doesn't count. That wasn't part of it. Oh, yeah. You yeah. started it the note after that on your right hand. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, the kick, if you looped it, you wouldn't do that kick. You don't know that you do a pickup note to get your body ready for this. And so I could totally see that happening. Now, just to go on that point, Let's listen to it as a fill and each time that I play it I change it. So on fill 1, I'm accenting the 232nd notes. So I'm accenting the front of the herta and then on fill 2, I'm accenting the 16th, the back side of the herta. All right. <laughs>
3: So when I hear you play it with the accents on the 32nd notes, it sounds like a drum lick. When I hear you play it with the accents on the 16th, it sounds like phrasing. So I would never play it with the accents on the 32nd notes and only play it with the accents on the 16th. Just because of the way it makes me feel it is more like you're phrasing rather than you're playing a, here's a lick,
1: here's a lick, here's a lick. I totally agree. And when I, it's, it's funny, when I play it myself, like when I teach it, I teach it the first way because I feel like it's easier to understand. Mm-hmm. When I play it as a drummer slash artist, it's the second way. Um, and I'm first of all, we should just recognize how massively versatile that thing is. When we started this little uh, segment and it was da 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 da, <laughs> da 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 you would never think like, wait, that's that thing that I've heard those fusion guys do all the time yeah. or whatever, and it totally is. And like I said, when I heard Carter or not Carter, when I heard Travis do it. It was in Blink. He was going, And it was like, wait a minute. But he was doing the, and it was a really cool thing. And I just thought like, oh, that's cool. And then that had to be in the early 2000s when I heard that. And ever since then, my
3: hertas have always been accenting the two sixteenths instead of the front side of it. So, um, when when you sent me this, the first thing I thought was, well, the way I usually play this is more thinking like a timbali player or something. So I accent all the lefts, so it makes it, it gives it this polyrhythmic phrasing with thirty second notes in the middle of it. Uh, right. Maybe we can we can drop in some audio of that. I'll I'll program it. <laughs> but, Going to do that?
1: No, and I, I thought it was really cool. Absolutely, like when I first heard that, um, I mean, I had to work it out for a second. But one thing you guys can do is just start playing this thing monotone, and then just slowly bring down the volume of one of the hands, and it becomes that thing, you know. Yeah, it's and like I'm the trying, left hand is like now playing eighth notes, time. but
3: it, they're displaced in a way. Yeah, man, that's
1: tough. I like that one. I'm so happy that you're the only one that can see my face as I'm learning this thing. And then it's like my eye starts twitching. And
3: I mean, how, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll drop in some programmed audio so we don't have to fumble through it. <laughs>
1: What I'm always preaching at the end of my educational videos, especially on YouTube, when I say, I give you the blueprint, but you got to build the house, what do you think I'm talking about? I'm talking about this. Mike and I both have access to this syncopated rhythm called the herta that goes da 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 But the, the stamp that we put on it through texture and through dynamics and through approach, that's what allows us to be individual and allows us to be artists. And that's what we want for you is when – Anytime you learn something that I've taught or that Mike's taught or that your private drum teacher has taught, the moment you've actually learned what they've taught you, that's actually the moment that the work begins. Learning it is the easy part. Mm -hmm. Figuring out how are you not going to just walk around replicating your drum teacher's parts, that's the hard part. And that's, I think, when you look at the history of this podcast and the drummers we've covered and the people that – get pointed out for Mike and I using their names way too often. It's because the stamp they've put on our instrument. It's not because of how good they are. Like you being good at the drums means you had free time. You being original <laughs> at the drums. That's, that's the kind of stuff that impresses me because I've played this instrument my whole life. And there's only a few things I can point to where I go. That's a me thing. I, I haven't heard anyone else do that. Mm-hmm. When I hear someone that embodies that as a player, even though I can trace it back to someone, they still put their stamp on it. You know what I mean? It's funny when you talk to Carter or Mark, our two most mentioned friends on this podcast, when you talk to them about their influences, it's like, yeah, I can hear
3: that you're obsessed with Tony, but I don't hear Tony in your playing. Yeah, like, the obvious stuff is not there. Yeah. It's more of a conceptual totally. thing. And uh, speaking of yeah. which, our our shared influence, Matt Chamberlain sent me a link to his new record that's coming out in a couple weeks oh and you know the the file there's no title there's no nothing on nothing on it i don't even know if he's playing drums or what but as soon as i hit play on the first track i'm like that's matt chamberlain like within really? two seconds of the drums making a sound i'm like that's the ultimate goal and i even told him that he's like yeah cool i don't know if that's good or bad but you know like <laughs> man like, i could identify your playing in two
1: seconds that's the dream that is, that is the dream so hopefully this gave you guys a little insight on the herta and the rudiment uh, i do have a new youtube video on it with going the phrasing is hurt to three hurt to four hurt to three hurt to four two so it's kind of like a feeling it is sevens uh one two there's no way i could count four <laughs> one two three nope not gonna happen <laughs> i was like come on don't do it live <laughs> But anyways, if you want to check that out, I don't count in it, but I do have a big metronome that goes, bloop, and you can check that out. All right. Let's get – oh, we wanted to mention uh, somebody that we lost, sad thing, but somebody that had a massive impact on the industry and created a product that
3: eventually became an entire industry on its own. Um, So this is the man that invented Moon Gel, right? Yeah, so most – within the past week or so, we lost um, Thomas Rogers, who was – he's the – creator of rtom the company which if you use moon gel or if you had a moon gel practice pad or if you got the black hole practice pad system he created all of that stuff so i think we can acknowledge that he had a major impact on our drum sounds oh my gosh. <laughs> over the years um yeah so Man. our thoughts are with the extended rtom family i did ask them to if they could send me one of the pads so i could kind of give a yeah. tribute to him in a different way by actually using his pad for a while and and kind of sharing now my have you on it. i used to own one of those did you ever own one i didn't they own are no one joke. i was in when i was in all state orchestra maybe my sophomore year the the first chair kid had one so i was i was third chair so i played cymbals and we were playing shostakovich so i literally hit instruments 10 minutes in eight hours um, right. So I just sat in the back of the room, just learning. I learned tornado, the rudimental solo on one of those pads. It nice. Was, it's like forever ingrained in my that that two day window when I like did nothing but shed rudimental drumming <laughs> on a rudimental practice fat. And it's silent, so no one could hear me back there, just hammering yeah. out double stroke rolls for like eight hours straight. Man, I mean that when I
1: was a drum shop employee at Drum and Guitar City, that was the pad that was always on the counter for us to play because oh, wow. yeah. one it, it was the quietest one but it was also just like how fast your paradiddles on the moon gel pad you know I was like oh god not the moon gel pad I mean you think the reflex pad is tough that moon gel pad it's got like specific gravitons in it that only gravitate
3: with, with wood and it just it just pulls your stick down it's out of control yeah apparently they're, they're working on a 14 inch version I think that goes just sits on top of your snare drum um, so that would be great. Check that out. That's still production. But yeah, definitely thoughts with everyone over at R. Tom for the passing of Thomas Rogers. Great pioneer in our industry. Next time you see a kit with some blue sticky dampening on it, you can thank Thomas Rogers for that. Man. You know, I, I got to say, between Moon Gel, if I,
1: if I can think about like the two products that spawned an, an entire industry to change towards that, it's funny. It would be. When I think it was, who was it? Pure Cushion? Who came out with the rims mount system?
3: The original. Uh, Gauger.
1: Okay. Yep. So that
3: yep. changed th- the game.
1: That changed everything because everyone needed more resonance. And yep. then Moon Joe, which caused everybody <laughs> to shut their drums up because they wouldn't stop ringing. Everyone <laughs> I, had too much resonance. It's
3: so true. I wonder if they were mortal enemies.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> Less ring. More ring. More ring All so right. we can control it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, that's a great idea. You keep making those, and then I'll make the product that shuts it up. Fantastic. Ah, maybe they are All right. Uh
3: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. we just discovered something. Once again, we want to thank Dream Symbols for sponsoring this episode, and go check out their new Dark Matter Eclipse series, which is based on the 21-inch Dark Matter Eclipse ride, which came out in 2017, which is a half-lathe ride symbol which has an inner portion that's not lathed, and then the outer portion is lathed. so you get two very distinct playing surfaces. The unlaid bell and center area gives you more articulate and clear sound. You get a washier, more complex sound when you move out to the outer edge where the lathing is. So check them out. There's a 23-inch ride, 19- and 17-inch crash. There's also 15-inch hi-hats, as well as the original 21-inch ride. On their Instagram page, YouTube, Facebook, they just put up a demo by their artist, Phil Hawkins. So he is in a studio playing these cymbals on some tunes so you can hear them in action. He also explains a little bit about the sound um, within, within the demo. So again, thanks, Dream, for, for sponsoring the episode. Go check out the Dark Matter Eclipse series.
1: All right, let's talk about our featured artist. Uh, this is... Daryl Howell is the archetype of a drummer that I think needs to be featured way more often, and that is the drummers that are constantly gigging, and they're almost like concert drummers. They're always on tour. Yeah. They're always playing these insanely tough arrangements. They're usually having to—I mean, if you think about what Daryl did in the Maxwell chair, all of a sudden— it's like, wait, who did the album? Chris Dave, great. Yeah, right. Yeah. Looking forward to copying those parts, <laughs> and yet he still does it, does his job. But I think maybe when you're new to the drum industry, or maybe the music industry in general, you wonder, well, why doesn't that drummer that did the album just go on the tour? Th- these are different breeds of drummers. A touring drummer is one has showmanship, has uh, an aura about him. They can take direction really well. Yeah, and, that's the that's and, the important tool. Yep, yeah, the professional. Yeah, and in the moment they play for the music and he is just like i said he's just the prototypical version of that and hearing his drumming there's there's something about a touring drummer where you can just hear even when they're by themselves playing that touring drummer is still in them and same with session drummers and same mm-hmm. with teachers you can hear that um but yeah i mean god he's been with Nicki minaj maxwell um,
3: i mean it's out of control yeah he the story is in the february issue if you haven't gotten it yet so he's He's basically, t- the, the whole interview is kind of about, well, how do you do this? How do you be a, you know, a, a top touring drummer for three very high profile, very demanding type gigs? And I kind of came away from it with the overriding theme was he, he's just so, so professional, so over um, so detail oriented and able to just deal with the fact, even says at some point. Like they prepared a whole set for Nicki Minaj and then she can come into rehearsal and say, We're not gonna do any of that. Here's thirty more songs we're gonna do and the show might be Whoa. tomorrow. You know, it's like Wow. Like in and, and he says Maxwell, same thing, he'll be's be, kind of legendary for showing up to rehearsal with a new song and we've gotta learn it and play it. Um, so that that level of pressure I think is what removes separates the men from the boys, the girls from the women in this type of
1: Totally. I mean, that's what I'm saying is just because you were able to come up with the parts and and track the parts, it doesn't mean that you could handle this world. It's a different world. And the friends that I have, I have one student in particular that I can definitely call a peer now, but his name's Tyler Zarzika. And he's toured with just about every young pop artist in the world by now and he's just a touring drummer he could easily be a session drummer but it's not where he's going to excel the most he excels at being told what to do and doing it really well and looking good while doing it and being 100 percent professional and just like you can get from reading this article with daryl not adding drama yeah be the cream in the coffee when the situation gets caffeinated calm it down i mean there's, there's um, something to
3: be said about the fact that he's pretty much anonymous like it's right. not like he's just showing up on, on every major drum festival and stuff. He It's like know your role, be a team player, be professional. And he came up uh, learning from Teddy Campbell, who I think kind of set wow. the, the benchmark, the archetype for this. Yeah. Like if you want a yeah. guy who can do the gig and there's going to be no drama and it's going to be amazing, Teddy Campbell. And then everyone who kind of came under his his wing. Yep. I like too that he talks about
1: self-critiquing and never being – I mean he's at a level where – if you're playing with Maxwell, you're playing with one of the most artistic R&B artists there, there is in the world. Um, and then if you're playing with Nicki Minaj, you're playing with one of the most popular, boisterous artists in the world. And for him to be getting off of the gig with Maxwell and saying that within two hours, he has the full yeah. set in Dropbox and that's what he listens to. He just finished doing it, and now on the bus ride to the next city, he's just listening and critiquing yeah. too much hi-hat, not enough snare, put in some more kick. Uh, you rushed. You dragged. It's like, well, that's that's the thing is I think when you're dealing with somebody at this level, they don't know that they're at this level because they're still worried about how could it be better.
3: Yeah, yeah. it's, it's almost like the irony of you make it, but you make it because you're so – Unable to be satisfied with with your own ability, so you're always pushing you're never you're never just sitting back like man, that was a great show past the the, the Grand Marnier or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: past the, the fritos, that was a hell of a show God he even says
3: he says i 've got a grading skill when there 's little things that to the band don 't sound like I messed up, but I know that I missed. I listen back and correct my mistake, so the next so the next night i don 't make that same mistake it 's very much like a professional athlete kind of mentality to me, yeah, like fix if you make one bad pass like you know, you better believe a quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, knows every pass he made in the game, and he knows which ones are good which ones are bad. You know, LeBron James and, can replay the entire game in his head on the way home, and he knows that, what he I mean, did. isn't
1: that crazy when you listen to, say, Tiger Woods give a speech after a round and – He's like, well, on six, it was a putt for seven feet, but it was breaking. And you're like, how do you remember that? It right. was eleven hours ago. <laughs> or they're like, well, in the ninety two, uh, you know, championship, you're like, how do you remember that? But I do think that if if our industry was a little bit different financially, I don't think it would be that weird for us to see drummers and bass players out on the road with their coach, with somebody that could mm. stand back and give them a little help, you know. But I, I do think that. What, if you think about Tom Brady on Monday morning after a win, what's he doing? He's watching film on himself with his coaches to find out what he could have done better, what he missed. And the fact that he's doing this on his own, getting on the bus, Daryl sits down. Puts in his in-ears or his headphones and just says, okay, I'm going to listen to – I just finished playing a two-hour show. And now I'm going to listen to all yeah, two hours because I it. know it can be – yeah. <laughs> and not from it, any it, kind of ego level. <laughs> I was going to say, that's different than you and I sitting down and being like, damn, <laughs> get it. Like that's, that's like, okay, now it's time to critique. Um, and I think more of us should be doing that. It's pretty awesome. You want to put in a little
3: audio of some of his uh, things that people can hear from him on Instagram? Yeah, definitely follow his Instagram page. His handle is uh, D L E M A R music. So D L E M A R music. You can probably find him, Daryl Lilman Howell. But he's got a bunch of cool clips on there. We're going to drop in one here.
1: Right, now it is time to get into some candy. We've got some new symbols to review from Sabian. These are the complex symbols.
3: Yes, it's a subdivision of the HHX series that they have called complex, um, which I think it essentially it means they just hammered it a little bit more. The bells are hammered. I don't know if that's standard on any other um, symbol in the HHX line. Um, so again, there's just more no, like noticeable hammering, more complexity. The more I kinda learn mm. about how symbols are made, it's it's really fascinating. Like you can only hammer some a symbol so far before it becomes a trash can. But if you don't hammer it enough, it's just like ear bleeding. So there's like these wow. these little pockets of of how much hammering how and you can't hammer the same spot twice. So anyway, they Oh really? Wow, okay. So, so I think they take like an HHX symbol and then do some extra hammering, hammer down the bell some, which kind of gets rid of some of the chiminess hammer down the bow a little bit more which makes it more flexible um man
1: sabian i'm going to give you and and meinel zildjian anyone else you're more than welcome to take this but as a customer we don't really know we just assume they show up like this it'd be awesome to hear a symbol as a blank then an hour into mm. the hammering then a little bit more hammering just hear the evolution of the symbol as it's being made Till like when does it become what it is you know yeah. um cuz we d- we see blanks on Instagram or something and then we see the finished result. Yeah. And we see like some slow-mo footage of somebody hammering it, but I'd love to
3: hear like oh wow, that really did sound quite terrible yeah. when it started and, and, and you and turned it into once that. Once you go so far, it's trash. That's the it's I guess it's like wow. being a sculptor, you know, once you remove too much, it's gone. You can't you can't put it back. So uh, what did you have a chance to test with these? So I tested the whole series, but here we're going to focus okay. on just the crashes. So they sent me the full range of are new complex crashes as well as comparable regular HHX thin crashes so in this clip we're going to drop in the first crash you hear is going to be the, the regular thin and then the second crash is going to be the complex version it goes 16 18 and 20 um, so we can kind of compare and then discuss how big of or how little of a difference we hear and then I can discuss what I felt which obviously doesn't translate to audio but let's drop it in awesome let's check it out
1: Oh, that's quite fascinating, and it gives you a great example of how nuanced companies have gotten. Because mm-hmm. if you didn't have one to compare them to, it could just be called 18 inch expensive crash, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, they both sound like really good expensive crashes, <laughs> but when you put them like AV'd like that, you can actually hear how much that extra hammering adds to the trashiness, yeah, and brings the pitch down just a little bit, yeah,
3: yeah, and. Yeah. So I kind of felt like, yeah, I mean, having one of either of these 16s, it would have been cool as your 16-inch crash. Um, right. I don't know how often you would have both of these up to really hear it. The big thing, which doesn't translate to recording, was I could really feel it. It was a much softer cymbal, and it also was a much quieter cymbal oh was it okay quieter in maybe not in a decibel way but in a frequency way like the thin had some like projection that would cut through a mix whereas the complex had you know a lot of that high-end stuff was gone so it just felt more like controlled yeah Um, it would blend a little bit more yeah so you know
1: i I gotta say when you did the two uh 16 and 16 i would choose one or the other mm -hmm. depending on the project but when you did the two 18s I actually thought those two crashes complement
3: each other really well. Yeah, yep. I felt like the bigger the symbol, the more the the difference between these two became. Like the twenty, there's even a twenty-two. They didn't send me a twenty-two inch thin to compare it, but the twenty-two, it's like okay, that's that's its own universe. That's its own thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I felt like the the sixteens, they just sound like sixteen-inch crashes, really the 18s I could really start to hear some difference more saturation coming from the complex and then the 20 I really felt like now you're getting a little bit extra trashiness that that was more noticeable Yeah, Um,
1: I think that's uh, the trashiness is definitely what I'm hearing out of that which is not something that you normally associate the HHX line with yeah
3: yeah, it's, and it's, it's not really like beautiful. so trashy where you're like, oh, that's a trashy crash. It's no, it's no, no. no.
1: It's just. I mean, it's kind of like when when Peisty goes a little bit trashy, you're like, what? Yeah. Right. Okay, <laughs> okay. I see what you're doing there. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean i I could definitely see either uh, the 18 or the 20 complex. I could see either of those on your kit as mm-hmm. your personal setup.
3: Yeah, yeah. They tend. That's the kind of the sound for a crash. I want a crash that sounds like a crash, but it has some like saturation that you don't get from like a. Regular factory-made crash so yep. they kind of supplied that for me the 18s and the, the 18 and the 20 in particular I, I would have been like okay put those two up i can do a session and having that little bit of control would help with recording i wouldn't have to worry about the high frequencies getting too piercing Boom. but you know i think calling them complex they're not jazz symbols. i mean you could use them in a jazz setting but they're not like they're not one-dimensional like only for jazz or or Like super specialized tones. They just, they still sound like crashes. It Um, was probably just that someone at
1: Sabian went into the hammering dude and was like, hey, can you take our normal 18? Hammer it more, but don't hammer it too much. And he was like, Why do you make this so complex? And they were like, (laughs) Perfect. We're out of here. I didn't
3: know where you were going with that. Well done.
1: Well (laughs) done. Dad joke completed. (laughs) All right. So uh, we will get to more fun stuff next week. But for now, it is time to get to
3: your listener questions. All right. Let's start with an audio question, shall we? Sure. We've got one from Todd Mitchell here.
2: Hi, Mike and Mike. This is Todd Mitchell from Ventura, California. Thank you very much for what you guys do with the podcast. Really enjoy it. Really appreciate the time you take out to do this every week for us. And hope you guys are off to a fantastic 2020. Uh, My question is regarding playing ahead and behind the beat. Um, It seems a bit more straightforward when you are playing to a click, uh, referencing some sort of uh, metronome. But uh, I'm a bit curious in general about how you implement that in free time. But more specifically, I'm also interested in knowing if when you are playing ahead or behind the beat, if you're introducing a flam when you're playing the snare or the kick relative to your hi-hat or ride. uh, Is playing behind the beat mean you move both notes ahead or behind? Or, or pardon me, both instruments? Or are you moving only one and uh, keeping the main timekeeper steady? Uh, very interested in the answer to that question, and thank you very much for your time.
1: Great and massively common question, Todd. Uh, I think as a teacher, as soon as this became a thing, which, by the way, was not a thing for a very long time. <laughs> Most of my teaching career, this was not a thing at all. Then the D'Angelo album came out, and then somebody started coining the phrase behind the beat, and and then all of a sudden, everyone wanted to know it. Uh, I can tell you this. It's very rare that I hear somebody be able to do this that doesn't listen to the music that involves this. Mm-hmm. The people that listen to the music that involves this, it's not playing behind the beat. It's playing the proper feel for the song. Um, yeah. It just is what it is, right? And so if you're, if you're making it mechanical, you've already lost the battle.
3: Yes, I think that is the, the paradox of it. You As soon as you start asking too many intellectual questions about it, you, may, you make it impossible to actually answer it. I think you have I to... I would
1: know right away, oh, you're trying to make your snare later than your hi-hat. Yeah. You have to do... You clearly
3: have never listened to this music. Know, play along to whatever you think is doing it, <laughs> and then make your drumming right. do that would be the way I would practice it. I don't think I've ever consciously... You know, there was a gig recently with a bass player that I that I have a connection with, so I know... We're gonna we're gonna be together. Nothing's gonna you know, he's not gonna accuse me right. of speeding up or slowing down. Like we're we're locked. So whenever we play like a blues shuffle, that's the only time when I'm consciously thinking, make the snare drum just a little sloppy. Which yeah. translates into hitting behind the ride cymbal a little bit, a flam. We'll which flam. is really you fattening up the sound yes. rather than trying to create some d'Angelo feel. Yeah, I'm not thinking about the technique. I'm just thinking about I want the snare drum to just be the very last thing that i play yeah um it, I I, and, and it yeah i a think flame.
1: um I yeah and so it's it's a tough thing because you sometimes you want to steer people like hey just play in time that will work so much better for you for the rest of your life <laughs> than than wasting your time trying to get one limb out of time and uh, like I said, I mean, yeah. the people that do it where I'm like, oh, man, that's so cool. So how did you learn how to do that? No one's ever said, oh, I practiced it. They're like, I don't know. I just play along to records. Yeah. So yeah. to them, they're not playing behind the beat. They're playing the proper feel for the music they listen to. So I think that that's and, and honestly, Todd, I'll just say this because I've had you at camp. And so we're friends. You're part of the Mike's Lessons family. I eventually had to give up on having a good jazz feel. If I wasn't going to be willing to listen to jazz music. Mm -hmm. And I just had to eventually be like, fine, I can do all the independence work in the world, but no one will ever say like killer jazz feel because I don't listen to the music. So unless I'm willing to go that route and not for if you're doing it for work, it's you've already failed again. You actually have to like it. Yeah.
3: You know, yeah. And I can Um, say from experience, not playing along to jazz records Having and I had no idea how far on top of the beat you actually have to be for that to work. Like, play along to a Tony Williams track from uh, Seven Steps to Heaven. I mean, if you're only used to playing like mid tempo funk, and then you're like, oh yeah. yeah, I'm gonna play some fast jazz, I guarantee you're gonna be at least a 64th note behind him. He's sitting so far on top, but when you listen to the record, you're like, that's perfectly awesome, there's, he doesn't feel like he's rushing or pushing, but he is right. sitting really, really far ahead same thing with Max Roach so I think that was the revelation for me, like okay, I can, I can intellectualize it, but until you sit down and actually play with it, and, and yeah. play with someone that you know has the, the traits that you want to be able to do there's going to be a huge uh, gap between where you think it is and where it actually is like yeah. playing long toes up on record you're going to probably rush because Bonham right slows down play <laughs> a lot of down.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> play along to a, to a live police record and you're gonna yeah <laughs> you, you gotta rush. Be, yeah
3: better get your matcha on get that
1: energy going <laughs> alright next question
3: oh yeah we have questions um okay <laughs> did we answer Todd's question I feel like we just tell him it's a stupid question that's a terrible way to answer it but
1: no, no. I mean, I think that that's, that's the, the answer that people need to hear is when it comes to something that stylistically based, it's not going to work out if you try to intellectualize it. You have to listen to the music. It is an art form for a reason. And the more you do it, I promise the more it will naturally happen rather than you. You know, if you want to work on anything, work on your drum set independence mm. so that when your brain or your heart, I should say, tells you what to do, your body can follow it. But I can I can totally hear when somebody in their drum clinic is like, Now I'm gonna do that thing. <laughs> like, dude,
3: stop. It makes my teeth start thinking about it. Totally,
1: right? I'm like, oh God. Okay. You're next, not meant to do that next thing.
3: Question from Greg. <laughs> my question is in regards to temperature. I keep my drums set up in a finished room above my detached garage. There is heat. However, I live in upstate New York and it gets very cold. I set the thermostat to forty five degrees Fahrenheit when I'm not in there and turn it up when I play. Is there any risk here with damaging the gear? Uh, whether it's from forty-five degrees being too cold, or from the temperatures rising when I turn the heat on, I don't. I don't think forty-five is cold enough to be a, an issue. That would be my opinion. I live in California, dude. I mean, forty-five I is still above freezing. <laughs> I think if your if your room is going down to like the teens and below, where, where your drums could be yeah. freezing, that's probably a problem.
1: I mean, obviously, the wood that your drums are made out of have gone through plenty of winters in their lifetime. So I would assume that's going to be OK. I would assume it would come down to the glue more than anything else. Yeah,
3: and I think uh, I, that's why issue. plywood drums are, are so popular. I think if you have like a stave drum or a block shell drum, that might be more of an issue where the wood is still expanding and contracting with humidity and temperature. But I think a ply shell drum is pretty much locked I mean, if anything, it's. I've just noticed this from driving
1: with my kit um through summers and through winters to different gigs and stuff. It, it's just a, a tuning thing. Sometimes my heads expand and contract, and mm. when I get my kit out of the out of my bags, all of a sudden I'm like, "There is no way that's where my rack tom was when I left the house today." <laughs> <laughs> it's all king or do. I'm like, no way, my 12 sounds like that. So. Sometimes it's just retuning the heads, but I think you'd be fine. Um, and now I would say let that let that room warm up before you play for just a little while for your cymbals. I mean, having really cold cymbals, mm. I can only assume that's got to make them more brittle if you just start smashing on them. I mean, I know from my touring days when you'd get to like the outdoor gig at the ski resort, <laughs> I was like, well, there's three broken cymbals today. No doubt about it. No doubt about it at, here at Banff. Um, and so uh, just just break your crashes and get on with it. Uh, so, yeah, I would say let it warm up so that your cymbals uh, have a little more
3: flex to them. But other than that, you should be fine. All right, we got one more here from Jesse. I'm thinking about purchasing, purchasing some brass hoops for my snare drum. I've found chrome over brass, uh, clear over brass, or black painted brass. How much effect will the coating have on the sound, or will there even be a noticeable difference? First of all, I'm glad he's listening because that we had recommended yeah. uh, brass hoops as a as a, a really nice number one upgrade. upgrade. Yeah, yeah. I've never a beat them. Um, I think maybe black painted might be the ones I would stay away from. Anything that's painted because it's, it's going to be dampening the metal. I think chrome over brass isn't really affecting the vibration that much. And if it's raw brass, that's probably the ideal. But then you're going to deal with uh, just tarnish issues over over right. time. That'd be my my thoughts. I'm not I'd totally these, agree. but I would stay away from anything painted because that's going to just deaden the the vibrations.
1: Yeah, painted, powder coated. You're adding material to it, and um, the chrome over brass. I'm assuming, like you said, still has resonance because it's metal based. Yeah. But um, and I mean that that the corrosion, the patina. That's that's the sauce right there. <laughs> yeah, but not everybody likes that. <laughs> well, they're wrong. <laughs> Dip it in some water. Dip it in some vinegar. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah. dip what in vinegar your your drum hoops D- no yeah dip your hoops in vinegar set them out in the sun let them patina you're good to go what do you do that <laughs> no. <laughs> no I don't No, not at all I saw it on, on Fixer Upper Chip was uh, throwing some vinegar on some some bronze to get it to patina extra quick so oh interesting
3: alright yeah don't yeah. do that <laughs> don't
1: do it I, I, I saw it on a TV show <laughs> Out of Waco, Texas. So don't do it. All right, guys. So thank you guys for sending in your questions. You can always send more MD info at moderndrummer.com. And you can send audio questions just like Todd did. That's our favorite because then we get to hear your voice. And it's uh, a good chance that we won't misunderstand your question if you are saying it out loud. All of your phones have a voice memo recorder. It's easy. Mm -hmm. driving around, you're thinking about it right now. When you have a question, just email it, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, with the audio, and we will get to it as soon as possible. It is now time for our picks of the week. I will let you go first,
3: so (laughs) that I can look on the internet for my pick of the week. (laughs) All right, I've got one here. I don't know, hopefully this is still available, but um, I just rediscovered my uh, Steve Gadd In Session DVD. Okay. that I think it was originally a... uh, Maybe a DCI production, and then Warner Brothers bought the rights to it. So the DVD version is out via Warner Brothers. I'm sure you could find at least clips of it, or if not the whole thing, on YouTube. Uh, but this is a classic drum video. It's 90 minutes of Steve Gadd in the studio playing with Willie and Eddie Gomez and um, who else? Richard T. Literally just playing, was it 10 different songs in different styles? Just to really? see Steve Gadd in his prime doing what he does, making music in the studio, and just how much he goes for the throat, no matter what. <laughs> if he's playing with brushes, if he's playing swing, if he's playing a slow blues, the dude is always going for the throat. So that's he's my archetype. Like there's the the polite studio drummer, nah. I want the Steve Gadd like break stuff right. kind of <laughs> yeah. vibe for his goes drummers. in. But always with a great sound and great touch and creativity. I think there's a couple approaches to the, yeah, there's a couple different approaches to a few of them. So you get to hear them work, you know, work through the tune and how his plan evolves. It's old. I mean, it's, I don't know when it's from, 80s. But yeah, 1985, maybe? I'm not even sure. Wow. But it's amazing. Steve Gadd in session. I learned so much and stole so much from this video. And I'm glad I rediscovered it. So that's my pick.
1: Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, my pick of the week is something that I always get comments on and it's been quite a while now. And people, even though I have this gorgeous vintage kit, I'm just thinking about my most recent trip to L.A. I set up my kit in two different places at the Vic Firth offices and then at Larrabee Studios when I was recording with Victor and Mark. And both times, even though I've got this great kit and cool symbols, people still comment on my clutch. My hi-hat clutch. Oh, yeah. Yo, what is that? <laughs> and so, first of all, it's been over two years, and I still have the drum key from Cherry oh, Hill. Oh, wow, wow. Still have it. I actually have two of you them because I have the them. one that y'all faked me out with. <laughs> um, but I I actually have the the real one marked properly now, so I know which one it is. Um, but yeah, so uh, after that, he sent me a matching micro-clutch. So his micro-clutches will fit. You get to choose, do you have a DW slash Gibraltar Hyatt stand, a Tama, a Pearl, or a Yamaha? Mm. So he will make them for your hi-hat stand. You can choose the finish, and the finishes um, are either brushed brass, so kind of gold-looking but flat, and antique blackened, that's what I have. And I think Carter might have one, too. I think he just posted a picture of his— mm-hmm. And so I've had the micro clutch now for about a year and a half and it's never left my kit. And you know how frustrating a bad clutch can be when you're constantly having to undo it in between every song and having to readjust it. And I do not have that problem with this at all. So check out uh, you can go to just Cherry Hill Custom Drums dot com. And you can see the Key of Destiny. It's literally called the Key of Destiny now nice. on his website. So you can see that there. That's the that's the drum key that I have had, even though it was stolen for a while because of <laughs> this podcast. But I've had it for a very long time. And uh, the micro clutch is my pick of the week. So definitely check it out. 60 bucks, but it's, it's the one thing that every time somebody sees my kit, they're like, what kind of clutch is that? And I'm like, really? Do you not see the 1964 Gretz round badge sitting in front of you? Look at the bass drum head. Uh, so so yeah, so check out the micro clutch.
3: All right. All That concludes our episode. It is. So we've got to go back to chaos of preparing for Nam here. So again, Friday at NAM show at the Big Fat Snare Drum booth, 1 p.m. If you're there, please come hang out. We're going to be there checking all the new stuff they have, drum battling. We're going to be blazing some hertas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to do 40 BPM hertas on Big Fat Snare drums. Wait, what? what is is that is that jonathan's outro beat <laughs> i hear it what? that is a dope group are you
3: looking around your room
1: because <laughs> <laughs> i gotta sell it damn it i gotta sell it
3: uh, you don't understand what it's like to be in character this is jonathan uh, kazanave i believe that's how he pronounces it kazanave kazanave nave. jonathan Just, why don't you say it six more times <laughs> the exact same way Kaznave? No, Kaznave. no Kaznave. Instagram, it's at The Studio Drummer, YouTube at The Studio Drummer. This is his beat. He is using a late 70s Slingerland steel snare, which is the 5x14. Um, he's using the UAD EMT 140 plate reverb, which is beautiful sounding. He's got a pair of trash hats that uh, I guess they were just some random things he found. Um, and he did the synth parts on with some Roland and Arturia gear so check it out, this is a Tama Royal Star kit uh, this is Jonathan Cabinave, aka The Studio Drummer that's it, see you next time